procurement is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk Long Island Serial Killer podcast was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the List podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. When the world seems to be crumbling down around you, it's easy to make rash decisions that you will later regret. But what if those decisions are decisions you can never take back? On January 19, 1982, a man died while behind bars for a crime that he committed when it felt like the world was crumbling down around him an action that was completely of his own doing. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On June 22, 1980, a man named Alvin Lee King III burst into the First Baptist Church in Dangerfield, Texas, wearing army fatigues, a flak jacket and helmet and carrying an AR-15 rifle equipped with a bayonet, an M1 rifle, a 22 caliber pistol, a 38 caliber pistol, and about 250 rounds of ammunition. Now, in most cases, the presence of such a man would warrant an immediate reaction and, more than likely, a stampede to the nearest door. However, in an effort to really drive home his sermon against communism the year before, Minister Jim Powell sent several uniformed men into the church and fire blank cartridges at the roughly 350 regular worshipers. So when Alvin walked in in a similar manner, those same parishioners trailed off on the hymn that they were singing and stood by waiting for the minister to finish the good word. All of that changed when Alvin screamed out, this is war and opened fire on the helpless group of people. 
As the smoke started to billow in the church and the sounds of screaming mixed with the pops of gunfire, a man attempted to jump onto Alvin's back with two others, J.Y. McDaniel and Kenneth Truitt, coming up the center aisle to try and put an end to the shooting. In total, five people had their lives cut short by the 45-year-old former high school math teacher. Of the more than 350 congregants packed into the church, many of whom were his former teachers, Alvin King killed 50-year-old Jean Gandy, 7-year-old Gina Linham, 78-year-old Thelma Richardson, 49-year-old J.Y. McDaniel, and 49-year-old Kenneth Truitt, the men who tried to stop him. Eleven more were injured before they could all flee to the nearby fire station. The final bullet fired was into Alvin's own forehead. He was critically wounded but managed to survive the 22 caliber bullet. With those injured rushed to the hospital and the dust settled on the bodies of the murdered, many in the town spoke in hushed tones about who the gunman was and why he would commit such an atrocity. Alvin King III was raised in Corpus Christi by parents who owned a local liquor store, pawn shop, and jukebox leasing company. He moved to Dangerfield in 1966 with his wife, daughter, and son, and began his work as the local high school math teacher. Known as a brilliant oddball, Alvin refused to sign the oath that required all of the local teachers to acknowledge the existence of God, and allowed those students with grades of B's and C's to cut a deck of cards to determine their final grade. Things seemed to be going well for Alvin until a freak accident sent him on a spiral that no one expected. While visiting his parents in Corpus Christi, Alvin was looking at a 12-gauge shotgun when the weapon suddenly discharged and sent a bullet straight towards his father, killing him instantly. The coroner deemed the death an accident, but it left a mark on Alvin that he could never quite shake. In 1972, he quit teaching rather than take on a class of special needs students and became a truck driver. Five years later, his house mysteriously burned down and he moved his family out to a 100-acre farm to grow peas and cucumbers, practice judo, and collect firearms. It was at that farmhouse where police would later find his wife, Gretchen, bound to a kitchen chair with ropes and a telephone cord. On the table was a note saying, Jeremiah says the king is the king of kings. In the basement was a letter from the Soviet embassy in Washington informing Alvin that he could not become a Soviet citizen, along with records showing that he put a $300 deposit into a Swiss bank and passports for he and his wife. Prior to the shooting, no one had really heard from the King family until October of 1979 when Cynthia, his now 21-year-old daughter, showed up at the police station saying that, for the last 10 years, her father had been forcing her to have sex with him. She was ready to file charges of incest at the urging of a friend who was the son of a Methodist minister, a friend named Stanley Sinclair that was stabbed to death in Houston the following month. At the time of the church shooting, Alvin was scheduled to go to trial for the incest charges and had asked several of the townspeople, people who happened to be members of the First Baptist Church, to testify as his character witnesses. All had refused. The morning that he was scheduled to start his trial, Alvin woke up, ate his breakfast, and overpowered his wife. As he was tying her to the chair, he said, I love you and I don't want to hurt you, before scribbling his cryptic notes, arming himself, and heading towards the church. 
After recovering from his self-inflicted injuries, Alvin was arrested and charged with five counts of murder and 10 counts of attempted murder. Unfortunately, before he could stand trial for his actions, Alvin Lee King III hanged himself in the Morris County Jail with strips of towel on January 19, 1982, mere hours before he was set to return to the courtroom where a judge was set to determine whether or not to relocate the hearing to determine if he was competent to aid in his own defense. Some believe he was led to suicide after hearing testimonies from his wife and son in favor of moving forward with the hearing. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on January 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.